Hi, it's Ken White. Hi, this is Josh Barrow, and this is Serious Trouble. We had an episode that came out actually just earlier this week uh, about Steve Bannon and more news from the January 6th hearings. Uh, That episode was only for paying subscribers. Uh, So if you didn't get that episode and you are a paying subscriber, uh, please email us at ricohotline at serioustrouble.show. And if you'd like to become a paying subscriber to get that episode, you can go to serioustrouble.show, sign up there, and you get that whole half-hour episode. Uh, But we have an additional bonus episode for everyone this week, uh, and it's about Elon Musk. Elon Musk, as you know, if you've not been living under a rock, he agreed to buy Twitter in April through this very unusual courting process um, where he made this unsolicited offer that was ultimately accepted by Twitter to buy it for $54.20 a share because he is juvenile and there has to be a 420 joke in the in the acquisition price. That amounts to a $44 billion acquisition price for Twitter. The stock market has done pretty poorly in the intervening period, you may have noticed, and it's been bad for the underlying value of, of Twitter and other tech companies. It's been bad for the value of Tesla, which is where most of Elon Musk's wealth is parked, and the way he's financing the acquisition is by borrowing against and or liquidating shares in, in Tesla. Uh, so Elon Musk wants out of the deal, and he's now, uh, he's now sent a letter saying that he is uh, terminating the deal. And then Twitter has filed a complaint with the Chancery Court in Delaware trying to force Elon Musk to, whatever his preferences are, go ahead and close this deal. So first of all, what's a Chancery Court? So, Josh, a a Chancery Court, and I just wanted to say for the record, I deeply resent having to get back into this uh, that I had uh, (laughs) put many years behind me. A Chancery Court is a type of court that's a throwback to the oldest divisions between different types of courts in England, uh, even pre-America. So courts used to be divided into law and equity. Law being stuff to oversimplify dealt worth money, and equity being stuff that dealt more with other types of relief, like injunctions and orders and prohibitions and things like that. So you used to have this division between judges who had the power to preside over trials and award money damages and judges who had the power to preside over things and offer injunctions directing people to do things. And in America, that distinction gradually eased and our courts, for the most part, combined those functions so that the same judges hear both types of cases and can do both types of relief, even though there's different tests for them. But in a few places, you still have separate courts of equity, and a court of chancery is one of them. So Delaware is a well-known haven for corporations. Many corporations are incorporated there because of the favorable law governing them and because of the relatively efficient court of chancery that handles certain types of cases. In a chancery court in Delaware is a special court that can handle equitable issues. And those are things like an order directing someone to do something or not to do something, particularly in the corporate context. So since very serious media is is incorporated in Delaware, does that mean that if we ever have some like terrible breakup of this podcast, we're going to end up in court in Delaware seeking equitable relief from each other? Oh, I can break that contract. (laughs) Okay, Elon. Um, So my broad understanding of this, and and I spoke a few weeks ago with Matt Levine, who's a journalist at at Bloomberg, who uh, in a prior life was was an M&A lawyer at Goldman Sachs, and he's been having a field day covering this story. And basically, um, merger agreements, first of all, generally are written such that, you know, you agree to buy and there's a price and it's going to take some period of, of months to actually close the deal. And market conditions may change over that period. And that risk is all supposed to lie on the buyer. That, you know, if you, if you agree to buy and then the market goes to hell and your price doesn't look good anymore, 
too bad, so sad. You took on the market risk. You still have to close anyway. And that is how Elon Musk's deal with Twitter is written. In fact, it's written in a way that is more seller-friendly than usual in certain respects. He waived uh, all sorts of due diligence requirements that you might ordinarily have uh, as the buyer to figure out you know, that certain things about the company are actually as they had represented that they were in their legal filings. You also have a, a pretty ironclad uh, financing terms in, the, in this agreement, where basically Elon Musk has to put up this money himself. He doesn't have a contingency about obtaining various financing. The, the terms that he has for the portion of the deal that's supposed to be financed with debt, the banks that are supposed to finance it do not have a good way out of the deal either. So basically, the, the, the money has to be there. Elon Musk is on the hooks to put it up. There is a breakup fee. So in theory, if, if Elon Musk walks away from the deal, the fee that he's charged is a billion dollars, which sounds like a lot of money, but it's low compared to the $44 billion acquisition price. And given what the market has done over the past few months, Elon Musk would probably be very happy to hand over a billion dollars to get out of this agreement. But then Twitter has another right here, and this is what they're asking for in the Chancery Court. They also have a right to specific performance under this agreement, which is to say that they don't just have to accept a billion dollars from Elon Musk and let him walk away. They are supposed to have a right under this agreement to go to court and have the court force Elon Musk to buy the company whether he wishes to or not. And so, in general, when do you have a right to specific performance? Because my usual sense of what happens when an agreement is breached is that, you know, the court figures out if there were damages and then awards damages to make you whole for the fact uh, that the, the agreement was not performed on. When do you get to say, no, I don't want your money. I want you to do the thing you promised to do. So specific performance is an equitable remedy as opposed to a legal one. It's exactly the type of remedy that courts of equity used to look at and that a chancery court in Delaware has the power to look at. And you're right. The idea is that it's a relief you look for if no amount of money can adequately address the harm. So traditionally, it would be something you'd ask for if the bargain is over something unique. So if you're going to sell me a particular piece of property, you know, that's not fungible. Uh, if you're going to sell me uh, a Matisse or a Picasso, a particular painting, it's not fungible. That would be a classic example of something where money can't remedy it. The only thing that can remedy it is that particular item. So when you're asking for specific performance, you have to show that you're facing irreparable harm that can't be fixed with money and that the equities, uh, the fairness, the justice of it is in your favor. Uh, it's typically very difficult to do in a situation that's about cash because cash fixes the problem, right? What they've done here in that agreement is say in advance in the contract that Elon Musk agrees that no amount of money can fix the harm and agrees to allow specific performance. Now, you can't actually contract around judicial power. So even when you have a term like that in a contract, the judge exercising their equitable power still gets to evaluate it and say, OK, really? Is this really irreparable harm or not? And it's perfectly plausible that a judge in this case would say, look, we all know that the billion dollars is enough to remedy the harm here. Uh, give them a billion and go away. Or the judge could say, no, I find that Elon Musk went on a sort of a campaign to ruin Twitter and uh, he promised and uh, now just, you know, money damages is not going to be enough. He's got to they have to have the benefit of the bargain. But he, here's kind of the thing overarching all of this, Josh, in, in my opinion, is that what you're seeing here is a contract that's very one-sided for Twitter, extremely so. There are only two ways you would go into a contract like this. One is if you wanted to acquire Twitter, no matter what, 
ride or die, uh, absolutely, and you're willing to do anything. And the other is if you never intended to abide by the contract and you're indifferent to the consequences of breaking the contract. And I tend to think it's the latter. Uh, Elon Musk fits very squarely into the profile of a particular type of person uh, who basically sees a contract as a starting point for negotiation. You know, we draft mm -hmm. this agreement and after we've got it, now we're going to negotiate how much I'm going to abide by it. That's a very typical thing you see in the tech world and with larger than life tech bros like Elon Musk and narcissists and, and so forth. You mentioned the, the need to show irreparable harm and to, to convince the judge that he should not use his discretion to simply allow Elon Musk to pay the breakup fee and walk away. Now, there, there are a couple of reasons that I, th I think you can very strongly argue that paying a billion dollars does not repair the harm that Twitter suffers if, if Musk reneges on his agreement to buy the company. One is that the risk of unfavorable moves in the market, which Elon Musk was supposed to bear under the terms of the agreement, the market has moved sufficiently unfavorably that the decline in the value of Twitter is significantly greater than a billion dollars. So that one risk that he was supposed to bear, that risk cannot be transferred to him through requiring a payment of a billion dollars. It would have to be substantially larger than that. The other thing, and, and the filing from Twitter, which is uh, from Wachtell Lipton, argues extensively that Elon Musk has taken certain steps that have breached other terms of the contract that he entered into, not just that he's failing to buy, it's that he made disparaging statements about the, the company that he wasn't supposed to make, and that he disclosed certain information that was subject to a non-disclosure agreement in a way that was damaging to Twitter's market value, damaging to its employee base. I mean, there, there's been all this news coverage about the difficulty that Twitter is having retaining employees because people are so upset about this acquisition process. And so basically, they're arguing there that, that Musk has taken steps that even beyond the broader problems in the market that have impaired Twitter's value in a way that, again, he was supposed to bear that risk. He's done things over and above that that have specifically impaired the value of Twitter as an organization. And so if you're the the board, and you know you've you've agreed to sell at this price that looks very attractive right now. Not only do you want to sell, you also don't want to continue having to run Twitter, uh, which already I mean things have gone sideways a little bit already. But Elon Musk has been basically doing all sorts of things that cause problems for Twitter as an organization that should be his problem as the buyer, and that's transferred over to you if you do not actually manage to sell to him. And it seems like the tone of this filing, first of all, I mean you know most legal filings are not very interesting. This one is is interesting and. Is, and has all these embedded tweets and looks to me like it was written for a broader audience than just the, the Chancery Court in Delaware. But it also has this tone that's like, it's not just like, here's all the ways Elon breached the contract. It's here's all the ways Elon breached the contract and what an asshole was he right. about the process of doing that and specifically how disrespectful to the state of Delaware and to its chancery court <laughs> and, you know, America's best corporate courts that people like so much because they are so good at providing reliable and consistent enforcement of contracts. And he's trying to undermine that whole system and show that the rules don't apply to him. And that's just, you know, that's an insult to the state of Delaware. Is that just an appeal to the pride of the judge to basically say, you know, you're not going to let him fuck with you like this, are you? It is in part. I, th I think you're right. There are multiple audiences here. One audience is the public. And it is a exceptionally well-crafted exposition of Elon Musk being a jerk and it being perfectly clear that from the very start, he never intended to abide by any of his promises. And in fact, he thinks that contracts and promises are for suckers. Uh, the other actually is the judge. And Josh, it's, it's key. It's not just about appealing to the judge's pride. It's about appealing to the judge's sense of fairness, uh, because a court of equity is exactly about fairness. So the more you can portray the other side as acting unjustly, unfairly, like a supreme asshole, 
the more you're going to appeal to that judge's sense of fairness and fair play and get them to exercise those equitable powers in your favor. So a key equitable concept is unclean hands. And there's a saying, you know, someone who comes to a court in equity with unclean hands can't expect relief. So you want to put your thumb on the scales on one side and show we acted in good faith, the other side acted badly in bad faith throughout to make it more likely you're going to get that equitable relief. Now, I still think that the notion that they're entitled to specific performance is to me, not a great argument, because all the things you're talking about, the things happening to the company, it's true that a billion dollars doesn't fix that, but it's not true that no number a billion dollars could fix that. So they have to show not only that a billion dollars is inadequate, they have to show that no number of billions of dollars would be adequate to fix the harm he's done by breaching the contract. And to me, that's kind of a heavy lift. But can the court award greater than a billion dollars? My understanding is that there could be a settlement negotiation, which Musk might agree to pay a significantly greater breakup fee, or alternatively, where Twitter might agree to significantly reduce the purchase price. But I thought that was something that you could contract away and that Twitter had contract it away, that, that it is unavailable to the court to decide that they need to award $15 billion to make Twitter whole, and therefore they're going to do so. Well, but that, that would again be an effort to contract around the discretion of the, the court. You can't basically tell a court that more money wouldn't be sufficient to address this breach of contract because we've agreed not to accept more money. That's kind of trying to contract away the court's discretion. Uh, you know, Twitter can claim a breach of contract, and ultimately they can't get around the court's power to decide whether or not this is truly irreparable harm and try to pursue it in other ways. I think it's a better than usual pitch for irreparable harm for breach of a contract like this. And certainly all of Musk's antics help. Uh, one pitch sometimes isn't so much that it's impossible for money to remedy it, but it's unreasonably difficult or impossible to calculate the amount of money that would remedy it. That's kind of a, a head fake around that problem where you say, we just can't tell how badly or how permanently he's damaged the share price with all these antics. And it's unfair to make us be the ones to speculate. And because that can't be done, therefore, you should give specific performance. And that might be a stronger argument than no number of billions of dollars uh, would do it. That's enough serious trouble for this week. Uh, and again, if you want to hear about Steve Bannon uh, and his uh, imminent criminal trial for uh, contempt of Congress and his failed efforts to assert executive privilege about why he shouldn't have to testify, even though the, the conversations he had with then President Trump were conversations he had as a private citizen. He was not one of the president's official advisors. And therefore, you know, whatever uh, thin executive privilege claim that you might have had there, there really was no claim to be had at all even if Trump asserted executive privilege over him, which it's not clear that Trump did or attempted to do. But anyway, you can hear our whole episode about those developments if you go to SeriousTrouble.show and become a paying subscriber. Tell us what you think about this episode, what you think about Elon Musk. Send any questions you have about what we've discussed here or any other Serious Trouble that interests you. You can reach us by email at RicoHotline at SeriousTrouble.show, and you can join the conversation about this episode and more there at the website. I'm Ken White. And I'm Josh Barrow. Serious Trouble is created by Very Serious Media. That's me and Sarah Fay, headquartered in Delaware. Jennifer Swadek mixed this episode. Our theme music is by Joshua Mosier. This is Serious Trouble. More headed your way soon. <laughs>